0: Glad to have you here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about you and that wallet of yours. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can keep more of what you make and you can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in a few minutes, wow, apps illegally tracking children 12 and under. It is a crime and it's happening all over the place and Later yet, I want to talk about something. You know, we're in the age of personalized pricing where the price I get may be different than the price you get, different than the person in the car next to you gets on the same exact item from the same exact store. I'm going to tell you how this plays, what you need to know moving forward to save money. And I want to address the tragic loss of life in the southwest aircraft flying from uh, New York to Texas and having to divert to Philadelphia. And, I mean, a lot of people have at base anxiety about flying. And the idea of somebody being sucked out of an aircraft is just so horrific and so the kind of nightmare people who are anxious about flying might have. And so, th- this woman, who apparently was a fantastic soul, was partially pulled out of the plane. Passengers pulled her back into the plane, but turned out to be too late. The injuries she suffered after the engine exploded and busted out the window were too severe, and she didn't make it. Now, that engine on that plane is one that has been an issue before, not on that particular plane, but that engine has had problems with apparently metal fatigue and then the engine blowing up. Now, it's unusual for an aircraft engine to blow out its cowling, that's the cover of the engine, and cause the kind of damage that occurred, but it does show that there is a vulnerability with fatiguing of the metal in the engine so the FAA after uh, refusing to do so in the past now has issued an emergency order that airlines all across the United States that fly that engine on various aircraft are having to do these inspections immediately and the inspections cannot be normal visual where a mechanic just kind of looks at and says yeah looks good to me Because an engine can fatigue, uh, the metal parts can fatigue, and cracks can happen that are not visible to the naked eye. So uh, technology is being used to scan the blades in each of those engines and either repair those that find what would otherwise be undetectable cracks or certify them as good to stay in use. But that's leading to disruption in flight schedules. And as airlines hurry to try to do the inspections on aircraft with these engines, it's leading to flight cancels. And the flight cancels per airline depend on how many of the affected engines they have, how many are backlogged for inspection. And what I recommend to you is the day before you're supposed to take a flight, check to see if your flight is still As scheduled. And the day you're flying, before you leave your home to go to the airport, before you leave work to go to the airport, check again because the early bird gets the worm here. The earlier you recognize that there's a disruption with your flight, the easier it is for you to be rebooked on alternative transportation that would not disrupt your life too much. The worst time to find out that your flight's been canceled is when you arrive at the airport and by then you are one of uh, you know 150 or so people who have to be reaccommodated from your one flight and with as full as flights are that becomes a problem and that's why you want to follow this proactive thing remember again check the status of your flight the day before you fly and check the status of your flight before you leave home or work or a hotel to go to the airport. Leslie is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Leslie. Oh, hi. How are you today? Great. Thank you, Leslie. What's going on with you?
1: Well, I sent um, you guys an email on your contact, on your website, um, a couple weeks ago. And I am a middle-aged woman who had a very successful career on Wall Street in New York City. For 20 years, and I have since, well, not since, but six years ago, moved back to Brandon, Mississippi to be uh, closer to my parents and my close friends. And I don't want an office job, Clark. I really don't. I don't. I've had the titles. I've had the bonuses. I've had the perks. But now I just want to... Be at home and perhaps make a little income for the next eight or ten years at home. And I, my question is, can you recommend any legitimate companies where one can work from home? Well, it's so so funny because you
0: you front-loaded the question, Leslie, with things that I would have asked you following up on what you just said and that is you always should draw on your life experience and your work experience and training and education for what you choose to do in a more flexible lifestyle that you're in now and so I would say you shouldn't look for generic work at home opportunities or part time opportunities your greatest opportunity is drawing on your Wall Street experience And I'll tell you, there's a huge need for fee-only financial planners. And you could choose to take on as few or as many clients as you wish to fit the part-time nature of the work you want to do, and you'd be able to take your expertise and provide direct assistance to people who are overwhelmed by the decision and choices they have to make about their money.
1: That's where my that's where my problem is. I I don't want to do anything concerned with finance.
0: You're done I with that. it's over, huh?
1: Yes, yes, sir. It, I I have been there. I've done that, and I, I just know when I moved back to Mississippi shortly after I lost my job after the the big market crash of 2008. Well, I moved home. At the end of 2011, but um, after my Series Seven, 63, 65, 66, all my licenses, licenses, I can't say that license expired. Yes, expired. I um, I said. I remember telling my mother, I said, I I just don't want to do finance and.
0: Fair enough. Fair team, enough. It's time for something new for you.
1: My two best friends, who um, have had the good fortune to be school teachers in the state of Mississippi, and they—one is retiring in about two weeks, and one retired about two years ago, at my age um, or younger than I—and with full pensions, and one is um, now working in the private school system. And one is not going to do that, but I'm so jealous that these girls, they're, they're just so young. And
0: well, well, let's talk about the kind of things, because I, again, I want to go back based on experience and how it translates somewhere else. Do you have any interest in being a tutor for uh, high school kids or college kids?
1: I do. I have a lot of interest, actually. I mean... I am very, uh, very organized and could parlay that into something. Um, I'm very articulate. I'm good at reading and writing. And I actually printed something off the um, Internet last night about 19 real ways to make money from home. And this was from Woman's Day about two years ago. But a few things that are very interesting to me and i would love your thoughts about this are um, being a proofreader a transcriptionist
0: I'm going through it
1: sorry um, don't want to be a telemarketer let me just move on all right
0: well let me let me let me take you a different direction i I've, I've got also a list at clark.com of what we've been able to ferret out are legitimate work at homes but I, again, I think you draw on what you know, what you love. Make a list of what your skill sets are. You said no Wall Street, nothing to do with finance, but there's many other skills you have that you can draw on. You mentioned the school teachers. You, I asked you about tutoring kids. There's an enormous market for that. Uh, there, there are any of a number of things you can do, but instead of looking at a list With the number of years of experience you have, Leslie, I want you to draw on what you know, what you've done, and find something that would work with that instead of looking for some Insta kind of thing that you see on my list or Women's Day's list or something like that, because with the depth and breadth of experience you have, that's what you draw on. That's your well that you draw on that experience to find the opportunity, I promise, That's where it's going to be. And the more people you've known from your years in Mississippi, the more they're going to be able to lead you to opportunities based on your knowledge and interests that others can benefit from. Promise. Gary is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Gary. Hi, Clark. Gary, you are someone who the Equifax breach caused you to fire up. How did it fire you up?
2: Well, uh, I'm a retired banker, and I was as upset as you are about the credit breach of Equifax last summer. So following your advice, I put a credit freeze on my own credit several years ago and urged my friends and family to do the same. But kind of what really irked me the most was that Arizona allows the three credit repositories to charge a $5 every time you freeze or thaw your credit file. This really means $10 for a husband and wife times three bureaus, or 30 bucks every time you do it. Total ripoff. Total ripoff. Nine states allow residents to freeze or thaw their credit at no cost, and I thought Arizona should be the 10th. So I contacted my local state legislator and convinced her to uh, introduce a bill that would reduce the allowable fee to zero. I testified in front of the Senate and House committees, on my, and my message was that this breach affects 50% of all U.S. adults for a generation. They took this information without our permission, allowed it to be stolen, and still want charge charges to keep it safe. Then, following using some of your comments, I went on to say, you and I are not their primary customers. We are simply data points that they slice, dice, and sell to their major customers, direct mail marketers.
0: You sound like me. It's perfect.
2: <laughs> yep. Yeah. So then, uh, I passed. Uh, so it passed the House and the Senate unanimously. It was recently signed into law by the governor.
0: And so, Gary, you were the driving force in making this happen.
2: Well, I, I hope I'm at least a force in making it happen.
0: But you're the one who went to meet with the legislator. You got the legislator to introduce the legislation. You help push it through by testifying and the rest that makes you a member of our team and such a member of our team (laughs) you're going to receive a free complimentary clark howard university factory second t-shirt
2: wow what an honor
0: so i think that's fantastic that you did that no one in america should have to pay to freeze or thaw your credit And you think about how our credit is used and misused, our information. And I'm going to talk about that straight ahead with how children's information is being misused. We need control back. We need the power of our own personal information. And to charge us to get any control at all is salt in the wounds. And good for you, Gary. It's time for today's Clark-rageous moment. And you're not going to believe... How companies are violating the law when it comes to your child's privacy. Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Regis moment. Researchers at the University of California, Berkeley tested 6,000 apps, approximately, that are available to children. And this is significant because. If a child is under age 13, they are governed by the only meaningful privacy statute we have in the United States that is called the Child's Online Privacy Protection Act, and it has strict requirements that children's personal information not be collected, not be shared, and they found overwhelmingly apps geared towards children, including Certain apps from Walt Disney were sharing information of children or were not protecting the information they were collecting. And this is absolutely scandalous. The worst part is there's no enforcement mechanism of the law. You know, there are apps my 12-year-old son wants to sign up for And he's prohibited from signing up for them because they say he's got to be 13 or over. And that's because the provider of whatever app it is doesn't want to have to comply with the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act. But it seems others don't care what the law says, are making their apps available to children and then not protecting their privacy whatsoever. And this is absolutely unacceptable. You know, you can pass all the laws you want, but if companies don't behave in good faith and nobody is a cop on the beat, that is the problem. There's nothing that I can tell you that a parent should do about this. This is really a law enforcement issue that the law is not being enforced, and it needs to be. You know, everybody in Silicon Valley wants everything to be self-regulation, but you invite the hand of government, when you fail at that self-regulation, the price is the price is the price, or is it? It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. You can follow me at Facebook.com/slash Clark Howard. So when you go to buy something in a physical store, you go to buy something online, you go to get in an Uber or a Lyft, or you buy an airline ticket, the price that you pay can be affected by so many things. But the Guardian newspaper reports that companies that are using data analytics, 40% of them are engaging with so as price discrimination. And what that means is that two people could be buying the same thing at the same instant and receive two different prices on that item and as online sellers and believe it or not physical stores become steadily more sophisticated in the information they know about you and me the pricing you'll receive can be different. One of the companies that will not disclose if it's using discrimination pricing is Uber but the reporter for The Guardian did his own test and found that he was getting a different price for Uber rides than the colleague standing right next to him asking for rides at the same instant. So here's what happens, is prices are set using analytics about your behavior, how you shop. As an example, going back to Uber... When I'm using one of the car services, Uber or Lyft, I don't decide which I'm going to use till I've checked the price on each. And whichever one is cheapest at that minute for that ride, that's who I use. So since I'm so price sensitive, obviously, odds are that I would get a cheaper price than somebody who's just a creature of habit and goes to the same one over and over again. And think about Amazon how much they know about you. And if you shop for something on Amazon, if you're a Prime member, you've signed in, Amazon knows your patterns. Are you a convenient shopper or are you price-driven? Have you noticed that if you look at something on a website and then you don't buy it, even put it in a cart and abandon it in the shopping cart, that for potentially days on end, Wherever you are on your phone, wherever you are on a laptop, ads will appear for that item. So the retailers have deep dive information about us, including now, I mentioned briefly, physical stores. Physical stores are learning how to track us through outside firms, and then with the signal our cell phone gives... And you're even going to see, and Kroger is experimenting with this, personalized pricing of items as you walk down an aisle where all the price labels are electronic and based on them knowing who you are from your Kroger Plus card giving you particular prices. The reality is unless you see something that's just like an incredible deal that you're crazy if it's something you need, or really, really want, that you don't buy it right then and there, in which case you regret later that you missed the deal, most of the time, the harder to get you play, the better a deal you're going to get. And for a lot of people, this is more work than you're interested in. You don't want to be bothered, and you just shop for convenience. But if you're at the other end of the spectrum, like I am, then you will approach this differently, and like if I'm looking at an item to buy, I do probably far more than reasonable comparison shopping. When I see something, I go ahead and put it in the cart at the retailer's site I'm at, and then I go do my comparison shopping to determine whether I'm going forward to buy it or not, and I'm really tuned into to prices And I find that I end up abandoning the cart because I find a better deal elsewhere by comparison shopping an overwhelming percent of time. So the more you do that, and this is your choice, the more you do that, the better you're going to do in saving money. I want to add another wrinkle to the equation that I talked about last year. And it involved geographic pricing that physical stores do where there will be a variation in the price at individual outlets of the same chain based on how close they are to competitors. This has been a continual source of irritation for people who subscribe to ClarkDeals.com and that we'll post a deal and someone will go to their local physical outlet for that store and the price will be higher or in some cases lower than the price we posted as a deal because that retailer is responding to the level of competition they face in their immediate trading zone. Supermarket chains do this, that if a supermarket doesn't face competitors that they're worried about within a certain trading zone that varies by area of the country, the prices in that store, other than the items that are advertised sale items, will be marked up more in the store that doesn't have as much direct competition as in a location that faces more direct competition. The more you understand about price discrimination, the less you're going to pay as you spend your money. And I'll tell you something, you become addicted to any one site in any phase of your life, any one retailer, in any phase of your life, you will, you are guaranteed to overpay. Greg is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Greg. Hello. How's it going, Greg? That's going pretty good. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you. What's going on, Greg? Uh, well, I just had a quick question. Um
2: my daughter uh was going to is getting a uh, vehicle loan uh, first loan ever um, and the question I had was is there a certain amount of time that you have to keep the loan open before you pay it off that you'll get a good credit score out of it my understanding was like it was supposed to be at least 6 months
0: I have never heard that there was a specific figure like that the important thing is having various lines of credit and an auto loan obviously one of them and that you pay as agreed when you look at what matters on a credit report and what generates a credit score the things that really matter are paying bills on time every bill on time every month and then to tell you how oriented credit scores are based on credit cards rather than alternative forms of borrowing like car loans the amount of your available credit you're using accounts for nearly one-third of what makes up a credit score so taking out a car loan paying as agreed and paying it off as early as you want is absolutely fine okay and do you happen to know what your daughter's credit score is at this point uh, it was very high, uh, high, like 750 or something like that. Very good on her part. Now, I wanted and to share something with you. I have no mortgage, haven't had a mortgage in forever. Um, I've never taken out a car loan, and the only credit that I have of any kind are credit cards that I pay the balance each month. You know, I pay in full. And my credit score is still fantastic. So there's a lot of theory out there how important it is to have a variety of borrowing sources. But the most important factors are all um, slanted towards credit cards and their use. So she'll be fine. Where's she getting the car loan? Is she getting it from a dealer or from a credit union? She's getting
2: it from from a credit union.
0: Okay, that's great. You know why I asked you that question? Well, because
2: credit unions usually give much better low percentage rates than dealers do.
0: Well, and much better than banks. A car loan at a credit union will usually be 1.5% lower than the average uh, loan from a bank. And a car dealer has the right and to mark up a loan because when people do one-stop shopping, and they go to a dealer and have the dealer arrange the financing, the dealer marks up that loan for the convenience they're providing, and you can pay a much higher interest rate getting a car loan at a dealer than especially a credit union or even in relation to a bank-secured car loan. So your daughter is doing it exactly the best possible way, getting that loan from a credit union. Wendy is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Wendy. You got an insurance question for me.
3: I do. I have um, my home insurance and my car insurance through the same provider as, you know, normally you get multiple line discounts for that. My question, though, is even though that that's normally recommended, um, is there any validity to having them separate? Because if, God forbid, you know, I actually have to use my insurance for, let's say, my car, then the insurance companies on paper are not supposed to hold it against you for filing a claim. However, my concern is if my car and my home are on, through the same policy. Or suddenly same you have company. no
0: car insurance and you have no homeowner's insurance either. Right. Like
3: I get put into the bad person of sure. using my
0: insurance. Right. So the databases, I've not heard of that happening to someone, although it's possible it has. The way the Mm -hmm. databases are collected is you have a clue report on how you operate automobiles. And Mm -hmm. then in a weird kind of twist, you don't have a homeowner's insurance file, but your house has a homeowner's insurance file, a -hmm. clue report on the house. So uh, if somebody so this is really really odd i'm taking you a strange place but if you buy a house and you're not aware that the prior owner of that house the person you bought the home from had a major homeowner's insurance claim mm-hmm. it affects your ability to get a decent price on homeowner's insurance on that house oh wow where with I had no clue. where with car insurance that was a bad pun there since it's called the clue report. <laughs> and the auto insurance is about the driver, not the car. The mm-hmm. homeowner's insurance report card is about the house, not the homeowner. So, I don't okay. think I'd worry specifically about that.
3: Okay, yeah, cuz you never know with the insurance companies. I mean, they my car insurance just sent a letter saying, "Oh, You know, we went through a third party to determine what miles you're actually driving and we're reducing, you know, your low mileage discount. So I wasn't even aware that insurance companies could do that. You know, had they called, I just would have told them whatever, you know, my odometer reading was. But apparently they have third party people go out and find that information. So I was concerned. How much did that that affect
0: your premium? I'm curious because that's usually not a big factor in setting rates.
3: Uh, it increased my premium
0: by $175. Wow.
3: Yeah. and I've 20, never heard a
0: number that high for right? a change I in know. how many miles. I know.
3: That's so, why I was really surprised by it.
0: So this would and be a time me, for you to shop both your yeah. auto and homeowners, put both of them in play.
3: Yes, which is why I was asking, because... I asked if I could just separate them um, and get a different car insurance policy, and they said absolutely that I could, but my insurance premium for my home would go up $700.
0: So that's why uh, you need to treat this as all for one, one for all. You go shop both of them. If you get Mm -hmm. a better deal from a decent company on both of them, you kick these people out of your life. Oh, yes. All right. Well, best to you, you. And what a great series of questions. And I will be very curious if anyone from the insurance industry says that I'm wrong on this and that a claim against one could lead to cancellation of both, because that's information I have never heard before, but you presented the question so well, Wendy.
4: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: It's time for Ask Clark. That's where you post a question for me at clark.com. Producer Joel asks your question for you. Joel, what you got? Clark Arthur wants to know, he says, I've seen and heard ads for buying gold as a hedge against the economy collapsing and the dollar becoming worthless. My question is, if I invest in buying gold and something major does happen to the dollar, how would I go about using gold bars? Can I go to the grocery store or the gas station <laughs> and make a $50 purchase with an ounce of gold? <laughs> Okay, so the deal, buying gold is not an investment. It's what's known as a hedge. And it is kind of like an insurance policy against bad times. So let's say you buy gold and it was such a thing to do in 07, 08, 09, uh, as a result of the banking scandals that a lot of people lost faith in government and in currencies and the U.S. dollar was one of the targets of gold bugs and so people felt like they needed to have gold because the value of it would just stay where it was but the value of dollars and yen and euro and Swiss francs and all that would move up and down in relation to gold that was the theory anyway. So the gold bugs ended up having their hedge but not being able to really use it because world currencies did not collapse from the banking scandals. And as far as how you would use it, so let's say an ounce of gold is, I don't know what it is, let's just say, for argument's sake, it's $1,000. And the U.S. dollar gets into all kinds of trouble and then an ounce of gold becomes worth $2,000. What you do is you convert it at the then rate to use it for, uh, oh, it's $1,325 is actually the right amount. So if you were converting it, you would get that amount of whatever money you were converting it to at its value at that time. So one thing, I'm not a fan of buying physical gold, physical silver, physical precious metals. I believe that you should buy funds that handle the buying the storing and disposing of that it's a far cheaper way to do it you don't have to worry about somebody stealing your precious metals and i have information at clark.com how to do that all right clark ron wrote in he said thank you for use uh, advising the use of a dedicated device and email address for online financial transactions do you recommend against using that same device for other non-banking activities such as paypal and online purchases um, PayPal is tied into your accounts. You could use PayPal. The whole idea is think only in terms of financial sites, and PayPal, I guess, would fit that definition. I've never thought of it that way, but it would fit. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I want you to know that I appreciate so much that you've just tuned into our podcast, that you had faith in the information and advice you get. You want more information from us? One of the best ways to get Clark smart is with our free newsletters, Clark Daily, Clark Deals, and Travel eScape. Sign up now. You'll be able to unsubscribe at any time if you think I'm wasting your time. Go to clark.com newsletters.